Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. And we're rolling. Welcome, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it means a lot of it. <laughs> How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I had a long day. Uh, I was organizing a couple of events in the last two days. So, you know, I just got home from... I run a space called the Foothill Community Art Space. Oh. So I've been organizing events there for, you know, contemporary artists and various local bands. So it just got, you know, done. And then I just reached home. Beautiful. Beautiful. All the more an honor for me to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time for doing this. But with your permission, I want to dig a little into your past. Where were you born? Uh, I was born in Imphal. Uh, you know, Imphal is the capital of uh, Manipur, the Indian state, which is just just, just next to uh, Myanmar, Burma. No? Beautiful. Yeah, I was born here. Beautiful. I really hope to come visit sometime. Yeah, you should. I would love to. I would love to. Uh, I, I've always felt, uh, at the risk of sounding cheesy, I've always felt a very deep attraction to that part of the world. Uh-huh. Uh, I've spent some time in Arunachal Pradesh as a child. Oh. Yes. And apparently we have some ancestry from the Northeast, which we never actually have managed to figure out. So it's a deep call, I feel, so I definitely hope to come someday. But um, this is about you and not me. Um, <laughs> could you tell us a little more for those of us who are not familiar with that part of the world, especially non-Indians, tell us about Manipur. Uh, Manipur, you know, it has, a, uh, you know, close to like I don't know, 36 uh, tribals, uh, tribes, communities, different communities. We yeah. all live together in this place called Manipur. Wow. And, and, you know, it has gone through a lot of, uh, you know, uh, movements and conflicts, the militarization. I mean, still we are going through that. Yes. You know, the militarization part is still very much uh, happening. Yes. The, the, the history book claims that we have had like 2000 year old history, uh, civilization, you know, uh-huh. uh, before we became part of India, you know, in 1948. We were already like, uh, you know, uh, before even India had its its own constitution, we had our own constitution, you know. Really? Uh, you know, it, it, yeah. If you look at that way, you know, Manipur as a kingdom, as a, uh, as a you know, it's much older than uh, India. You know, if you look at, you know, the, this uh, angle, like, you know, having their own constitution and, you know. So, uh Manipur is like now, if you look at it, you know, uh, the past uh, decade, decades, you, you will know, like like from 60s, uh, there are many uh, incident groups who are fighting for self-determination. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we as a kid, you know, uh, we grew up in this conflict. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's like a realization for me also when I landed up in Delhi to study further. 
Yes. Uh, you know what we have gone through uh, as, as a society collectively, and it, it reflects a lot in my music, you know, in my writings. So that's Manipur, you know, and and we have the the biggest freshwater lake in the northeast India. It's called Loktak Lake. Yeah, this month only we put out a song on this lake about wow. the environmental degradation, you know, that's been happening, you know, because of all this. Uh, what do you call uh, uh, development and civilization? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it brings nothing to the people, but you know, it's just money for the pe- uh, for the authority. But you know, the people who live around the lake, you know, get going through a lot, and not just uh, the environment and uh, you know the people, the fishing community around the lake, mm-hmm. they're going through a lot. So we just put out a song. Uh, early this month, yeah. When was the first time you realized in your life that conflict was a part of your environment? Uh, I I grew up in Imphal, you know. I, I uh, you know, I did my schooling in Imphal. So mm-hmm. when you do, when you do study here in this town, you know, uh, I'm talking about early 90s and, you know, late 90s. So we would always be, you know, in the street protesting against some killing, you know, of students. There were many cases of uh, disappearance. Mm-hmm. I don't know in other, uh, you know, other uh, other states and other country, but in Manipur, the students are very active, you know, in, in political issues. Mm-hmm. And they, they, uh, I think back then it was all Manipur Students Union. You know, we have a group called MSU. Mm-hmm. All Manipur so so they are always leading all this kind of protest and uh, movements. So as a student, you know, we always happen to be part of it, uh, to be you know to, uh, to be out in the street to protest, you know, against uh, militarization, against all these killings and all. But uh, but back then, I don't think we. I, I mean, personally for me, I I really did not understand what was going on, but. I went to Delhi, you know, and then from Delhi, you could have, uh, you know, bird's eye view of your own hometown and the conflict and what you had gone through. So I think in Delhi, it was the realization that, you know, how we've been part of this conflict. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like that. I want to get into that uh, in a bit. But just to clarify, so your first memories of the conflict were uh, as a child in school while you observed students in college protesting against what was going on? It was not even school. You know, in Manipur, uh, there's something called combing operation. I, th- I think it, it, it happens uh, It happens mostly in conflict zones. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So the army would come and then and then drag you out of the house and then make you all stand in the in some, you know, football ground or some, you know, empty space. And then they will fix your uh, body and then they will go to your house and search your... So it, it happened like, I don't know, maybe I was hardly 11, 12. That's the first time it happened to you? Yeah, yeah. So so, so that's that's how I remember. And after that also, when I was very young, my, one of my cousins got arrested because he happened to be, you know, he happened to have some friends, you know, who's part of some... Uh, you know, outfit. <laughs> hmm. So uh, there are various incidents like this. You know, was that the only time that happened to you, or did, were there numerous instances? Uh, and there are there are many other. I, I mean, you know, stopping by cops or army, you know, in your own locality and asking your identity, 
you know it, it it's uh, it's it, it's been part of our growing up days you know yeah, and, and it's quite strange you know the outsiders they come to your town and ask your identity <laughs> mm. where i should be the one asking them <laughs> like who the hell are you yes yeah, so. i understand so let's go to delhi for a bit you mentioned in uh, uh, in an interview uh, like you mentioned right now that was the first time you got a overall view of how uh, you're both indian and not indian uh, may i request you to talk to us a little about that uh, so uh, i was studying in delhi university and uh, had a chance to interact with other people you know mm-hmm. because there was the first time that i ever come out of my town I understand and and then you know if you interact with all these people then i realized the kind of childhood that i had was not normal <laughs> mm-hmm. because running around the bullets you know protesting all this kind of stuff and then you realize like oh my god what but but everything is very immune here you know we have been exposed to all kinds of uh, you know tear gas firing the bullets firing and then back then also when we were uh, in school we learned you know how to uh, stay away from tear gases you know by putting the what do you call that that colgate no around your eyes wow uh, you know yeah <laughs> so even if you use uh, if you uh, carry around onion also it also absorbs the smoke you know so all these things we learned during our uh, you know school days how old were you when you were learning this uh i must be like 14 15 okay so teenager yeah yeah wow. yeah i mean i mean there was a time we came out in the street to protest you know to be part of all this so yeah so delhi was like that you know uh, when you reach delhi you are exposed to um, all kinds of people you know i was part of various events in delhi mm-hmm. for kashmir for assam for even even uh, for bopal gas tragedy mm-hmm. and yeah so i get to meet you know people and and and, and what is very significant about my experience in delhi is like all these people that i get along you know they are the minorities you know in this country mm-hmm. india as a country how it treats the you know minority population in the country it 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 talks it says a lot you know what do you think it yeah. says if i may ask i i i i mean it 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 doesn't like you know the the minority population you know they always try to polarize them to be part of their narrative uh, that's how i feel i, I mean still you know how uh, with the bjp you know how they are targeting the entire uh, you know uh, muslim and the minority people trying to polarize them <laughs> yes it's been it's interesting how we keep falling for that trap throughout history right you think with all the experience we've had with that we learn by now ah uh, <laughs> yeah so delhi if i understood you correctly it was like a double edged sword on one hand you uh, realized even more how polarized the environment was but also on the other hand you found people who you felt were kindred spirits did i get that right yeah 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 you did yeah and you're a physicist uh, so you went to study physics in delhi was that right yeah i did study in uh, delhi university and jamia millia islamia i studied physics i did yeah my phd how's the academic experience for you uh it was it was i i mean i really enjoyed my phd days because i i i'm someone who likes to be very independent you know about you know how, about my work mm-hmm. so in my during my phd days you know it's it's about 
doing things on your own. My supervisor was very cool, and we hardly. Yeah, I, I mean, we don't even sit together and talk about our work. Really, <laughs> we just exchange emails. Yeah, we we exchange our emails. You know, uh, of of course, we do sit down sometimes, but not like other people. <laughs> Gotcha. So it's mostly like you know, even if he's sitting in the next room, so we will you know email each other, you know, update me your calculation, you know, you share this that. So it was like that, and and, and I I really enjoyed my PhD days, uh, you know, and, and of course there was also a peak time for me. You know, I was very very active in the streets, you know, part of the politics, part of the various protest events. I think those days shaped me, you know, who I am today. That's beautiful, man. Did your professors uh, know about this, about your um, active role in politics, and did they ever have a reaction to it? My supervisor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your supervisors or your teachers generally were they aware of your political uh, leanings? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were. Uh, they, I mean, many of them were aware. Mm-hmm. But uh, my funny, uh, my actual supervisor, he was not not very aware of uh, what I was doing. That's interesting. So the funny thing was. I was about to give my talk, you know, for the final PhD submission, my thesis submission, and they were outsiders. And then, you know, my supervisors was on the stage, you know, introducing me to all the people, you know, like the externals and all. And he said, you know, he is my first student, and he also sings for Tibet. <laughs> Tibet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe he got some. Idea that I am into singing and being part of protest, and, and then he thought that I sang for Tibet because there was also a time I was writing, uh, you know, uh, poetry about Tibet and all. Maybe he saw it somewhere. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. But he didn't think you were Tibetan. No, 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 no. He very knows. Uh, okay, he, he knows okay. me very well. Okay. I'm from Manipur, and right. Yeah. Okay. okay, at least okay. That's not too bad then. Um, when did music start happening? What's your earliest memory of music? Um, Manipur, uh, you know, we were exposed to all kinds of music when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my uncle used to have like big Pan Helen poster in his room. Awesome. You know, Debbie, yeah, Debbie Lee Rotten and all. And uh, I don't know, music was always there, you know. But but I never thought that I would play. I would end up being a you know a musician or singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. It, it's been there. Uh, Even in school, you know, my friends would play guitar. They would sing, but I was always the guy, you know, who sit next to them and clap. Really, <laughs> you know, I never thought that. I, yeah, I never thought I would play guitar. But in Delhi, it it happened by you know coincidence. Uh, one of a friend, he left a guitar in my room, and it was a small, like old broken guitar. Mm-hmm. He left it, and then it was lying in my room for like. months so i started checking it out and then that's how i started and i was trying to play back then i was into nirvana a lot yeah. i was trying to play nirvana and all but, but i was too bad you know i couldn't imitate all these artists so i started singing on my own like you know like the new, newspaper headlines Beautiful. whatever that comes in the newspaper and i would try to sing really? so, so, so yeah <laughs> yeah so basically that's how i started right my own song so i'm talking about early 2000 so after that one of my friend who's a, who's now a very big filmmaker in town mm-hmm. 
so he he noticed me writing uh, you know music and all then he wanted to use my music for his film so i, I was very excited and then i gave his uh, i gave all my music to him to let him use for the movie and it did happen and then and, and there was also the first time i hit the studio you know to record uh, professionally <laughs> how was the experience it was so uh, i mean i opening for me you know i thought i never thought that you know i could sing or you know I could never be that guy you know who is into music but he gave me the chance and then I went to the studio and sang that song actually I went to the studio to sing the cue track you know of the professional artist ah. because I wrote most of the song in the film <laughs> so one of the song you know uh, they were not able to figure out you know uh, in the studio so I played guitar and then you know I recorded the cue track then the this friend of mine he said oh Let, let's keep your voice as the you know <laughs> real uh, this thing that's the thing about studios sometimes stu- artists are born or killed in studios a lot of people who thought they were artists yeah. realize oh my god i'm really bad at this and then a lot of people like you who thought oh i'm not much of an artist you realize what a massive artist you are once you hear what you've actually been doing the whole time on speakers but i interrupted you sorry man keep going yeah yeah so there was the first time for me you know uh, to actually uh, hear my own voice you know uh, in, in in a very well furnished uh, kind of a production mm-hmm. so after that i was out in the street protesting this and that but and then much later i formed my band you know so that's how it started with music how do you form the band how did that happen back then when i was in delhi i had a friend uh, I, i mean he's still around he's still part of the band mm-hmm. uh his name is sachin and he was studying in chandigarh mm-hmm. so every you know summer vacation he would come down to delhi and then back then he was much more like a you know experienced musician he had his own band in chandigarh and we you know I, i mostly they were doing covers and all but every time he comes you know we would gather together and then i will play my own songs to him and then he would tell me like you know oh let's do this let's do that and so when i started my phd i you know i used to get you know some not much but some sort of a scholarship mm-hmm. so with that money 2008 summer i came down home i withdraw 40000 from my account and then i came home mm-hmm. like all fully prepared to record my music and to form the band so i came home and then this guy from chandigarh he was already back home in nepal so i interacted with him and if he is interested to be part of this so we jammed like for i think 12 days uh, 15 days at the most and then we hit the studio in nepal there's a studio called cello river studio so we went to the studio and then recorded a song recorded eight songs it was like 18 days i think it took us 18 days <laughs> so so not just live recordings but with overdubs and everything i i mean there was two songs that we did uh, live recording mm-hmm. but the rest were like you know track by track and and then right. i hired other uh, session musician like drummer and a bassist mm-hmm. so uh, that's how i i mean my sister was also part of the uh, first recording oh wow what does she play Uh, she sang beautiful she's a fantastic singer beautiful but now she's not singing i've been i've been trying to convince her to sing again <laughs> so that's how the band was formed infal tokis and the howlers and yeah we put out the music in 2009 and then i think back then uh, rolling stone india also just released yeah. uh, i i think just came out 
Yes. So they also did a very uh, fantastic review of that album. Yeah. After that, I never looked back. I left physics and <laughs> I'm doing Rolling like, Stone. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine called you uh, the voice of the northeastern states of India. Yeah. Do you agree with them? Ah, uh, no, not exactly. But but I know what they mean. You know, we talk about uh, certain things that. artists are not uh, very what do you call comfortable talking about yeah yeah uh, exactly mm. of course I, i mean we have lots of artists but uh, you know maybe i'm wrong but they don't reflect what's happening around mm. yeah but for me uh, life is too short and i want to say things that you know i care about <laughs> yeah. and that's what i do with my music as express as much as possible yeah but for some artists you know it doesn't matter and and, and then i respect their understanding and decision about it also that's yeah. very kind of you especially after the degree of trauma all throughout your life to have that mm-hmm. sense of open mindedness is very inspiring mm-hmm. if i may say so thank you it's is also very Uh, evident to hear in your music that uh, in spite of the themes you're talking about your music never sounds bitter something about it always sounds hopeful it's very evident to hear that you're trying to create beauty and not the ugliness which in some cases mm-hmm. unfortunately was the reason these songs came out i was uh, reading through some of the articles that have been written about you and um you talk about how you also like many other indians grew up listening to bollywood music and uh-huh. you know so called you know mainstream indian culture but once you were in um delhi you realized and then i'm quoting uh-huh. you i realized i was not one of them and that was eye opening and you addressed uh-huh. this mildly but i want to know this is actually something i even though for very different reasons i don't want to dishonor what you've been through uh, by making random comparisons but the realization or the feeling of not belonging is something i can relate to yeah but i was wondering um, if you'd elaborate on what was it that specifically made you realize or feel that you were not one of them and also who is them yeah so <clears throat> the reason i started playing guitar in delhi was one of them you know because i did not have friends mm mm-hmm. uh because there was a huge uh, language barrier for me mm. uh in my college days you know uh, i mean i can speak english little now but back then you know i was just uh, <laughs> what do you call it? i i i mean i could read book i could do my physics but i'm not that good to you know interact with people with my uh, english skills or hindi skills well i'm not an expert on hindi but your english is perfect <laughs> No no I don't know I'm I'm still like you know it's like a learning <laughs> process for me so I was uh, I did not have friends in college days and that's why I started picking up uh, that's how I ended up playing guitar and you know <laughs> above that uh, you know people would mock you you know yeah. uh, because I look different because I I don't look like Indian I have a mongoloid you know feature mm-hmm. so even if if you go to college in the bus you know they would call you certain names mm-hmm. and 
it's everywhere you know even if you buy vegetables in the you know uh, vegetable market they would call you certain things so back then i i think i was like a i was very angry and then i used to have fight you know inside even inside the bus mm-hmm. i would fight with all these people uh, you know the not indians i mean basically mm-hmm. so later point in my life uh, when i oh, i was about to finish my phd i stopped doing that because i know that you know i'm different and that because if you look at uh, culturally traditionally even food wise if i cook in delhi i stayed in a place for like you know 12 years at the same place uh, so i would cook this fermented fish you know back from home mm-hmm. you know uh, my parents would send me i would cook and then everyone would complain you know the neighbors would say like you know oh shut the door what are you cooking this and that you know all the and they would abuse you for that also <laughs> abuse so you this like kind seriously of thing, abuse you, know, you or yeah 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 oh, they would wow. call you name yeah so oh, so this kind of thing you know this is this, this is small things so but, racism basically like hardcore racism yeah 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 a lot so so we have gone i've gone through a lot of this and at some point i stop you know being you know i, I stop reacting yeah. <laughs> because i know even this uh, uh it's nothing much to do with my personal thing but even during the corona you know when uh, you know covid-19 uh, started spreading across the country you know they were targeting all the northeasterns really you know they would spit at them yeah What what was their reasoning behind it? Because we look like Chinese, oh. <laughs> so wow. so that's the kind of mentality there. And at some point, you know, I thought, okay, I think it speaks more for their intelligence or lack of it than the mentality. Exactly, ex- exactly. But uh, not to excuse any of the racism, but yeah. So so I I I still you know stick to that statement. You know, I'm not one of them. <laughs> We're very different. You know. So. Here's the thing I mean India is a republic all pretty much almost every state has its own mm-hmm. uh, culture its own language its own cuisine and everything I mean there are a lot of regions in the country which definitely are treated like second class citizens mm-hmm. but what I'm trying to figure out is the northeast has always been referred to as something foreign i mean yeah. even now i know at this point i think i have a european passport so i'm not even sure i'm allowed to travel to the northeast i think i need some special permit even though i have a uh, like no ci mm-hmm. card so why do you think that part of the country has been segregated the way they have what is it in your opinion that's the core reason behind that reality i think you know the idea of india is very different from what we have back in the northeast mm-hmm. if you look at the northeast itself it, it's again like another india uh, you have uh, so much of diversity in itself yeah in itself and if you pick any community you know they have gone through so much mm-hmm. so before that manipur uh, already like you know got independence from british and you know uh, i told you know said actually that's something i'd be very interested in clarifying what was the status of manipur during the british rule uh so in 1891 mm-hmm. the british took over in uh, manipur you know okay so so there are couple of incidents that i can mention here please so there was a there was two war you know started by women in manipur against the britishers these are about uh, yeah so the first one was i i think in in early uh, 20th century mm-hmm. i i think one of the uh, you know the british bungalow got burned 
in fire. The British tried to, you know, send away this uh, culprit, in the, the, the responsible people, to get ticks from Burma, you know, to rebuild the house again, to, to build the bungalow again. The, the women started protesting against it, and then there was a huge fight between the, you know, uh, colonial power and the women. So that was the first uh, uh, women's war in Manipur. We call it Nupilal. And, and, the, and the second one took place in 1939 because uh, the, the monarch, the king and the British and the Marwari, you know, uh, businessmen, they were trading rice, you know. Mm-hmm. They were sending away all the rice to, from Manipur to other, you know, places. So, but these women and the, the local people, they were actually the one who really work hard in the field, in the paddy fields, and, and they were not able to buy the rice, you know, because these people, you know, put the price you know, of these uh, products uh, produced. So, uh, they again, there was quite a big uh, movement. It lasted for, you know, a couple of years. So, the, the, that was the kind of thing that we had when Britishers were here. And even my great-grandfather, he died in the Japanese bombing during the Second World War. Oh, really? Uh, I mean, that's again another long <laughs> discussion. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Couldn't help but notice, though, it is said that a lot of northeastern regions of uh, India are more matriarchal societies than patriarchal. Would you agree with that? Because when you refer to the women's war, it sounds like women have always been a very strong independent force in society. Yeah, uh, even in Manipur, if you look at the history of Manipur also, it's always the women that come forward and try to protect the society collectively. Mm-hmm. But the disappointing part is the women are never part of the decision making. Why is that? I would not say, you know, it's it's a matriarchal society in Manipur. Okay. The guy always like, you know, uh, hide behind the women, <laughs> <laughs> but they always come out, they always come out to... You know, they always come out, you know, whenever there's a chance to, you know, take advantage of it. So they let the women do the real work and take credit for it? Yeah, exactly. Pretty universal. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But women here are like, you know, they run the markets. Even during the citizenship amendment bill protests, mm-hmm. it was the women, you know, in the market who started the real protest. You know, they shut down the market and, you know, protested like for weeks. Wow. Last, I, I think 2019... End of 2019, you know. Mad respect. That kind of thing, you know, quite gutsy. And yeah, they are the ones who actually threw out Assam rifles from the Kangla, you know, uh, from the from this place called Kangla. Well, you know, they disrupt, came out in the street naked, protesting against the killing of this lady called Thangjum Manorama, who was brutally raped and killed by Assam rifles. Wow. I think 12 mothers came out naked in the street and protested. And the next month, Assam rifle had to you know move away. <laughs> so that's the power of you know mothers. Wait, so 12, 12 mothers came out naked and... Yeah. Yeah. Force the Assam rifles to leave. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so they yeah, they literally shouted, you know, we are all Manorama's mother, rap us, <laughs> kill us. So Wow. That's intense stuff, man. Mad respect. Where were we? I've lost my thread now a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, so India and the Northeast and how the narrative between mainstream Indian concepts of what India is and your perspective. Tell us more about the differences. I I cannot pinpoint, but um, I know it was it was not a very fair question on my part. I apologize. I couldn't figure out a better yeah, way yeah, to say yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I cannot pinpoint, but but like I said, you know. Historically, we have nothing in common food-wise. I think for me, food is very important. Mm-hmm. 
to point out. Absolutely. You know, I, I stayed in Thailand for one year and I have more similarity with Thailand than India. Yes, I can relate to that very well. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of thing we never had with India. And of course, uh, whenever an India Indian comes down to my town, mm-hmm. they always uh, thought that it's a, they would come with odomos, you know, the mosquito repellent. They will wear, you know, leather boots, you know, till their knees. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing they have about the uh, rest of the Northeast, you know. It's like, uh, what do you call it? Like Amazon, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't know, uh, you know. So they come and try to civilize you. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, f- for me being a musician for past 15 years, yeah. I have been interviewed by the mainland, you know, media many times. And then, they often misquoted me. So at some point, I stopped, you know, uh, entertaining them. I can imagine. So at some point, I realized that, you know, we have to tell our own stories. I agree with you. And, uh, Could you give us a few examples of how you were misquoted? If you're comfortable talking about it. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, there was a, I, I will not name this uh, production team. Sure, sure. So it, it's a big, big production team, you know, and then... Uh, actually, there are two cases of such. So they came down to the town, uh, you know, to do uh, you know music show with me, mm-hmm. and uh, I talk about the issues here, this and that, you know, about how I make music, and and that was a particular song about this girl named Rose from Manipur who was uh, raped by you know BSF border security forces way back in 1974 mm-hmm. i have a song called song song for a rose you know i talk about this and that uh, of this particular song it was like a 30 minutes long episode you know all that they all they put out in the episode was like you know like i like i was you know uh, talking bad things about or about my own society they were not actually saying about the actual issues you know which is more about militarization and the, and the Indian occupation in the town, you know, because this girl was brutally raped by uh, BSF and then they, they, they never talked about it and then they only talk about the incident issues and then how it how it destroyed the society, the uh, you know, the education system, this and that. So, which, which I was very pissed, uh, you know. I can imagine. And, and yeah, and, and after that also, I did a big show. I talk a lot about, you know, Armed Forces Special Powers Act, 1958. It, it's an act imposed in uh, most of the Northeast region in Kashmir. And it, it's a kind of an act, you know, that gives power to the Indian Army and the paramilitary forces to kill anyone over suspicion, you know. Yes. Uh, if, if I'm an army and if I think that you're carrying a gun and I can just shoot you and kill you and later I can explain it. Oh, I thought he was carrying a gun. Yes. You know, that's the kind of power given to the army. But uh, I have a song, you know, about that. And then I do this, you know, sing the song. And then when it comes out in the national television, they all censored, you know, <laughs> all the important points in the song. What a shocker. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of things there. And and again, there are other, you know, episodes like this. Mm. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very reluctant now, you know, who is interviewing me, 
who am I talking to, you know, when it comes to the, you know, media related articles and interviews. Yeah. I can intimately relate to that. I think the way I've been misquoted in interviews in the past is not uh-huh. yeah. as, as bad. It's not as enraging as yours because the issues mm-hmm. you're referring to are uh, issues that have affected the quality of your life all your life. So I can only imagine mm-hmm. how enraging it can feel. But I'm yeah. kind of quite familiar with how uh, misrepresented artists can feel sometimes in the way pr- the press yeah, yeah. Uh, present the entire scenario. I think the world uh, today is a very good example of generally how the yeah. press has gone wild. Yeah, that's true. All the more reason, by the way, to thank you again for coming on, you know, talking to me. Thank you. Thank you, dear. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a journalist. I'm, I'm, I'm an artist just yeah, looking, I know, I know, looking to I have know. conversation yeah, with fellow yeah. artists. Yeah, yeah. I'm very glad you had I'm very glad you do this. Uh, Cheers, brother. I'm very glad that people like you take the time to talk to me because I think that's the future. I think we should just talk to each other instead of... Uh, we don't necessarily... You know, I don't want to say the press is non-essential, but I think we have uh, a possibility to also speak for ourselves in this day and age when we need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Northeast, um, Manipur and Northeast, I had a lot of uh, friends uh, actually used to play with them. Oh, oh. A musician from uh, the Northeast, not Manipur, but he was from Mizoram. But it's always been very well known, even though it's never been declared officially, that the Northeast always has been a very, very musical part of the country or the world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, the, and in a very global scale, I mean, you have your own um, roots yeah. music, which in itself is a very deep and rich tradition. Yeah. You're aware of what's going on in the rest of the country, but you were one of the first parts of the country who were very aware of what was going on in the world of music all around the world, like rock music. And how, how did that happen? Why is that the case? I think, I think especially, you know, I think I think it had a lot to do with Shillong, uh, Meghalaya. How so? What's with Shillong? So so I, I yeah so uh, the, the 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 Christian missionaries, oh, right. the church mm-hmm. it, with guitar and you know all this gospel singing. Ah, gotcha. So yeah yeah so so I I think Shillong I I don't know much about the history of Shillong but they also had some you know uh, connection for a long time you know since time immemorial I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the with the Western, you know, uh, but but again, you know, it all boils down to I think uh, maybe Christianity, as far as uh, I'm aware. But in but I think in Manipur, it's not it's not like that in Mizoram or Shillong. I think in Manipur, it's uh, very recent, uh, very recent, as in like you know, 60s. Mm-hmm. You know how how how, they, how how people here got into uh, Western music and all, yeah. But you still had a like a rock music scene in the sixties. Uh, I I think those were like the pioneers. You know, they started a band. Not exactly. I think seventies. In seventies, I think we had a band called Magnetos here back home. Mm-hmm. And then after that, there were many other bands like Cannibals, uh, Phoenix. We had many many like you know bands. There. But the but the thing is, they never had not much of. You know, original music. <laughs> it was more about, you know, covering Western bands. Gotcha. But it's still very, a very interesting part of history. Here, I, I spent part of my uh, teenage years in here in uh, mm-hmm. Calcutta, and uh, mm-hmm. I also studied under um, a guitar player, uh, musician called 
Ahmed Datta, who's uh, yeah, yeah, I know who's him, quite yeah. well known, and his brother as well, Monaco yeah. Datta. Yeah, they were my first, one of my first mentors uh, before I left. And mm-hmm. they would talk about no Northeast generally about how it was one of the, always one of their favorite places to tour in because they would feel like uh, their music was understood at a different level than anywhere else mm-hmm. in the country. Just on a random side note, um, since 2015, you've been um, working on what you call a native tongue called Peace, which is correct me if I'm wrong. It's like a mobile music school for children. Is that right? Uh. I wanted to make it like that, but it didn't work out. So I was working at a children's shelter hall. Mm-hmm. So these children comes from different backgrounds of uh, Manipur, mm-hmm. you know, from the hills, from the valley. And Beautiful. Manipur, I mean, historically has gone through a lot of ethnic conflict. Within itself as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within itself. Ethnic conflict here is like is something that I am... I'm really bothered about. I wanted to work with these children. At the children's home, I saw, you know, children from all kinds of, from all kinds of background, you know, from the Maitai community, from Naga community, from communi- from Cookie community. And they were sharing one roof happily, you know, sharing whatever that they have, eating together, singing songs. At that moment, I look at the children and then I realize, you know, this could be a, great model of coexist coexistence you know it can be a model of a new manipur where we can you know uh, share everything that we have without judging each other without any propaganda that we have you know <laughs> and so it's been with me for a long time but in 2015 i got a grant from this uh, uh, foundation called Foundation for Social Transformation, mm-hmm. which is based in Assam in Gawati. So they gave me a grant, and then with that project, I started uh, this uh, this project called a native tongue called peace. So it's such a beautiful name, by the way. Yeah, a native tongue called peace. It's a beautiful name. Was it your? Did you come up with the name? Yeah, yeah, I did. Beautiful. So I wanted to look at this. You know, I wanted to work with these children and. I got my fellow musicians involved in the project. They teach the children music. But I think we learn more from these children, you know. Oh, yeah. All these children living under one roof. I I, I mean, I belong to this community called Maitai. Maitai. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I never get to learn, you know, song from other communities, you know, because I'm too engaged with my own world, with my own, you know, propaganda, this and that. But these children, you know, they would sing each other's song, you know, from different tribes, they would sing. And then it's so organic, so beautiful. Mm. So we wanted to nurture that kind of uh, innocence, you know, among the children. And so I wrote five songs with these children and then we put out, uh, they're all in YouTube. And so uh, it's been a fun and learning experience for me to work with these children. Beautiful, man. That's inspiring. You also yeah. say that when you when you work with them, when you're working with these children, these children, you want to keep that entire energy untouched from politics because uh, you yeah, don't yeah. want to be another guy who runs an organization just to spread propaganda. That's such a, such an important message uh, to say. I feel. Yeah, yeah. Because there are a lot of organizations who do exactly that, you know, they'll yeah, pretend yeah. to be the savior, uh, except they're adding, they're just mm-hmm. more fool to the fire. Exactly. That's probably one of the things, uh, one of the first things 
uh, that one notices about your work that you're always stressing on uh, beauty and uh, the music and the art and your work it always stresses on the positive and that's uh, yeah. something i really want my listeners to know yeah and and that for me is the mark mm. of a true artist in my opinion that uh, mm. to not deny the darkness to not deny the shit going around but also not become shit ourselves you know because then we're just part of the problem yeah that's true yeah tell us more about this project how long has it been going on 2015 did it was that uh yeah it started in 2015 and uh, of course last year i couldn't do anything you know with the corona and all sure sure yeah so so i'm just trying to resume now uh, again i have been working at a particular uh, children home mm-hmm. uh, shelter home like for past i don't know many years but we are trying to uh, expand the project in different places and these children the children right now i'm working with they're mostly hiv positive wow so yeah <clears throat> so we use music as a therapeutic kind of uh, you know experiment with the children right and so the most beautiful thing about this project is the children are you know now they can play guitar they can play violin they can play keyboard wow. so it's like they have their own band now you know they are even performing at the state level festival <laughs> so you know they would every year they would open for the world aids day you know uh, a function that the state government organized mm-hmm. so they're doing pretty good you know they're playing in church they're playing uh, everywhere uh, with the music that we wrote together of course they do lots of gospel also <laughs> Uh, how, yeah, how so old are these children what's the age range they range from uh, 7 years to uh, 17 i'm curious if i may ask if it's if this isn't a, a hairy topic to address how does a 7 year old um, get hiv in uh, manipur how's that happening it, it, it's from the mothers, mothers no? right. it, it, it's from the parents yeah okay. it's from the parents okay. yeah. yeah so so manipur has a you know this the drug issue came to manipur in 1980s you mean narcotics yeah 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 so of course if if you look at the map also it's very close to golden triangle mm. uh, and you know from burma burma is like just two three hours drive from my home <laughs> you know wow in 80s you know there was also the time the insurgency movement was at the peak and i think drugs were used uh, you know uh, to defunct the you know youth uh, in the society mm-hmm. so uh, i i mean no one has i don't know how many of the people here have done research on that but it, i mean if you look at the places in the across the globe you know where you have conflict there's always a drug issue there yes definitely yeah so so it's Quite the same obvious. thing here yeah yeah is anything being done about this or is it just free flow the state government started something recently Mm. not recently i think for last couple of years but i don't think it's working out because they just released uh, you know kingpin you know a drug lord mm. recently who was caught with all this you know wy tablets from his home and he was just released uh, you know by the you know uh, court he was proven innocent so everyone all the mothers everyone the civil society when they are protesting against it but how safe do you feel in your home all things considered i mean you're well known you're renowned uh, you're a national figure everybody knows you 
you um, your art yeah. is dedicated to your activism how safe do you feel in an environment where you're dealing with so much conflict on all levels uh i don't know uh, how should i answer this i actually i don't know because we were you know we were brought up in this society mm. where you cannot you know where you don't know much you know what can happen okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> i actually don't know how safe i am but in in 90s and to early 2000s there were lots of fake encounter killings you know of the innocent people by the cops and the army mm-hmm. but things have gotten better now uh, you know that way because all the uh, there's a group called ifam uh, you know which is uh, formed by the families of the victims family who were killed in this fake encounter killings so they file like 1528 cases of killings to supreme court Wow. it's still pending so and even cbi has come down you know to prop all these cases and many of them have almost all of them have come out true you know how the killings were staged you know how it was fake but the case is still pending after this the family victims uh, started this case in supreme court the killings here have stopped actually earlier no one was like safe you know if you carry like 10000 rupees in your pocket no then you're not safe at all i'm talking about late 90s and early 2000s and where does music fit into all of this uh i don't know about the rest of the you know artist here but for me you know i see music as a tool uh, as a medium where i can talk about this you know if i come out talking just like that you know it's not safe for me but it's music Mm-hmm. we have seen the history of music how powerful can music be and for me i'm just lucky you know i know how to strum certain uh, two three chords and make songs out of it out of my angst and anxiety and frustration that's what i do uh, i don't know about the rest of the people yeah that's beautiful man if i may share i mean that's very inspiring and very hopeful for me to hear cuz um i'm not sure um if you're aware of what's going on in europe but there's like this very draconic kind of a lockdown happening yeah 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 i so i i heard yeah people are curfewed they're not allowed to uh, be outside between 9 and 5 mm-hmm. in the night and only so called essential things are allowed and uh, amidst the artist and musician community especially in a country like germany which has always been declared as like a leader uh-huh. in the field of arts and whatnot um uh-huh. uh, to be fair artists do get a lot of benefits there but uh, for the first time in the history i think since the second world war musicians are not allowed to practice music they're not allowed to give lessons and not allowed to perform and uh-huh. it is and under the a declaration that music is not essential so uh, since it doesn't qualify as essential or functional in society it mm-hmm. will have to be put on hold right now and uh, it i think it hit a lot of artists uh, in a very raw spot um so yeah. i feel like it would be good for a lot of people in the world to listen to what you just had to say mm-hmm. you think it's a powerful reminder of exactly the kind of role music plays especially when someone like you says it i feel like it carries a lot of value um you were uh, awarded a f- fellowship a 14 month fellowship with which you toured assam and bangladesh you want to talk about that a little yeah 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 sure so uh, i was supported by this foundation called india 
Foundation for the Arts mm-hmm. based in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. It was a project where for me as a musician you know i've been talking singing about the conflict in my town and the you know in and around so i wanted to look at manipur from a different perspective there are manipuris you know uh, residing in assam bangladesh in meghalaya in burma also wow yeah so and and it happened during this burmese invasion which took place in 1819 till 1826 mm-hmm. so this phase this seven years is known as like seven years de- devastation in the history of manipur so there was a time that all these people migrated to various places you know they basically run away you know uh, to stay safe from the burmese invasion because the burmese were completely depopulating the the kingdom wow. back then so so these people uh, in bangladesh and assam you know i wanted to visit them and then hear their story you know uh, here i belong to the maitei community and maitei is like the very dominating population and mm-hmm. and these people you know for like last two centuries you know this maitei people how they live there as a minority and you know and and And, and it's very interesting how you know they still you know practice their tradition culture you know being a minority amidst uh, you know bengali in bangladesh assamese in assam you know and and i happen to i i am actually like a poetry maniac you know i read all kinds of journal you know i kind so i i i i stumble upon some of the very interesting literature written by you know assamese poet you know assamese manipuri you know these people and 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 manipuris from bangladesh so mm-hmm. so it 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 been sitting with me for a long time that you know i wanted to visit them i wanted to talk to them so in 2018 i travel across various villages in assam where you have manipuris and also in bangladesh also so i collected stories from them you know about basically you know oral traditions folklore and 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 i came home with the stuff and then i made an album uh, based on their stories and lives and the folklores whatever that you know they shared with me wow and we put out the album uh, i think early last year i i think yeah february 2020 we put out the album and then uh, after that we again you know reach out to all these people the villages it was a kind of a way for me to show respect to them to play all these songs for them because basically it's a story about these people whose ancestors migrated two centuries ago and so we did and and this shows were very interesting because these are not like the usual performance you know we perform in their courtyard we perform in their houses we perform in you know in the mandaps in the community place so uh, without proper sound and also it was also fun for us to experiment that kind of uh, you know engagement with the community Beautiful. and they had lots of questions they had lots of questions about the songs also and some of them even didn't like you know how i portrayed them yeah <laughs> so yeah what, so they even, what did they not agree with yeah so uh during my visit in assam i came across a poet named ilabanta mm-hmm. so he's a fantastic poet and, and and i regret you know how i have not read him you know before 
I just got to know him like two years ago after this uh, my visit. So he has a poem about this river called Barak River. Barak River started from Manipur, but it runs through Assam and then it goes to Bangladesh. You know, it's a beautiful river. And then he wrote a beautiful song about. Uh, he he wrote a this poet Ilavanta wrote a beautiful poem about this river. You know, and I I make a song out of that poem, and uh, not just the entire song, but uh, there's a couple of lines in Manipur. Like you have uh, romance epic like Romeo and Juliet, Lela Mazanu. Really, we also have something called. Yeah, we also have something called Kambatoi Bi here, you know, a, a love ballad kind of a thing, which is very much part of our folklore, Beautiful. oral tradition. So, so he used this character in his poem, you know, in Assam, but they are not from Assam, you know. Uh, if you look at, like, it would be uh, what do you call? It would be uh, not. I don't know. I mean, for me, it would be right, but to many people, it, it would not be right to use Romeo and Juliet, you know, in any other, uh, you know, uh, cultural, you know, uh, text, cultural literature. Uh, so this guy used this Kambathoibi uh, character in his poem, you know, which is like a part of the the Barak River, you know, narrative. So I use that character Kambathoibi in my song as a character from. Assam, you know, from from the Barak River. Many of the elders, listeners in that particular event, they were saying that you know I should not use. <laughs> it's like uh, they don't like you know how I use the character. But I was actually inspired by the poem, so it was a long discussion after my performance. Uh, so that kind of thing. So the interpretation didn't agree with them. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. But but it was good. Uh, it was good, uh, and and I like that kind of uh, you know discussion. It, it, yeah. That's that's where yeah. uh, innovation is fueled, and uh, also contemporary interpretations are always uh, yeah. known to induce a certain degree of controversy. I think it just adds yeah. to its credit. Yeah. one could argue anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, I gotta ask you. There's, uh, I mean, this is a blatant question. I'm just gonna come out and ask. So when you travel abroad, you carry an Indian passport, right? Yeah, I do. How does that feel? Of course, for now I have to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there was a uh, during my PhD days, I traveled uh, for my research. Uh, I I had to go to South Korea. Yeah. But the the people at the airport, you know, uh, they collected my passport already, and they were I think searching in other you know areas because I don't look like Indian, no. So it. I almost missed my flight <laughs> because yeah. of that, because they they never look at the Indian you know passport. Mm. So so this kind of things are there, uh, but I, I'm okay. I mean, so far. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I get that a lot too. But it's interesting um, how um, people's perceptions of Indian uh, still is. I mean, even if we don't consider the northeast, I mean. What is an Indian supposed to look like? They look different in different parts of the country. Like, I mean, vastly different. But I feel like there's still this very specific <laughs> perception of what an Indian man is supposed to look like with a very specific haircut and a very specific kind of mustache and a very specific kind of 
shirt tucked into very specific kind of pair of trousers. So um, it's uh, it, it's kind of funny, but uh, I don't know if it was as funny for you. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. So for you, if I may ask again, um, what does Indian mean? In in India, is a I, I mean you know I'm not talking about the army or I'm not talking about the you know uh, authority. Of course, but in India, to me, you know, the people as it is beautiful, you know. Yes. I enjoy going to South India, you know, I love their food. Yes. And then I've stayed like, you know, 12 years of my life in Delhi. Yes. And and I know every nook and corner of Delhi. Wow. I love I love how, you know, uh, how I get to know, you know. Yes. It, it's a beautiful, you know, uh, country, but the only issue that I have is with the, you know, it treats the Kashmir, how it treats the northeast, you know. Yes. I'm not it, it's 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 nothing to do with the people the politics in, in Lars, you know. Yeah, the politics is 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 like I I I don't like the politics of India. Yes, I think a lot of people can relate to you on that. I mean, I can literally say, you know, who I am today is shaped by my experiences in Delhi. Mm-hmm. Delhi opens my eye, and, and it shows. I mean, some of my best friends are you know I met in Delhi. Yes, and. You know how I get along with the other activists, other uh, singer songwriter, the musicians that I met. They're all from Delhi. And are you comfortable being called Indian? Me? Yeah, I'm fine. Because at the end of the day, I'm Indian actually. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, my I forget my ideology, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, I have an Indian passport. I use the Indian currency. I, I, I mean, even in Manipur, you know, you start, you wake up in the morning and the, the first toothpaste you use is like in Indian milk. And the, <laughs> moment you, and, the, and the moment you go to bed, you know, you, you use the, you know, tortoise uh, mosquito repellent <laughs> that's again met in India. Yeah. So I think, of course, I have my own ideology, but something that you can't get away with. <laughs> yes. I think India is still in the process. I mean, then this is my opinion. I think the juries are, nobody really knows what India means today. Yeah. The whole viewpoint on what Indian means is very, very subjective. People also forget like the word India is not even Indian. That says it all. Yeah. You know, it was coined by the British. Yeah. India is an English word. It's not even an Indian word. Mm. It's uh, And here we are trying to uh, define it. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on. Uh, for years talking to this but thank you for sharing that i have one last question before i let you off the hook um we've talked to you as a musician but you're also a physicist how does that fit in into this entire world do you see parallels between your work as a physicist and your work as an artist uh mm, not not at the moment (laughs) i i quit physics in 2012 oh i didn't know Uh, that of course uh, yeah i left physics in 2012 but when I started the project, a native tongue called Peace, I teach the children mathematics and physics when their exam comes. Beautiful. So apart from that, uh, I'm not doing much. I, of course, I am curious to follow the you know the the, the physics world. Mm-hmm. So often I follow you know, what's going on you know the, in the world of uh, physics. So when you say you quit physics, you mean a career as a physicist? Yeah, gotcha. I left my career as a physicist. Yeah. Okay. May I ask you why? Uh, it, it's uh, I love physics, but uh, you know I'm not that bright. I highly doubt that. 
uh, I, I doubt that you know I'm not gonna dis- uh, I'm not gonna you know discover a galaxy or you know uh, <laughs> a constellation and I, and I'm, I know that I'm not gonna come up with a theory to solve the dark energy problem or anything. I, I, I mean I can still pretend to be a physicist and you know get my bread and butter out of it. I can still earn out of physics, but to me, when I weigh between music and physics, you know, I wanted to do music full time because the physics that I did, anyone could do if you do the right calculation, whether you are sitting in Africa, whether you are sitting in India, whether you are in America, you can get the same result. Gotcha. For me as a musician, I wanted to talk about where I belong, I wanted to talk about where I stand, narrate my own story. And so it was a hard decision for me to leave behind, uh, you know, my career as a physicist after struggling so many years. (laughs) Uh, But at the end of the day, I wanted to do music and work with children. I wanted to work with different communities uh, through music. And yeah, so I had to make a choice so you basically you felt like you had something more unique to offer to the world as an artist than as a physicist yeah i i, I always i always felt that yeah. beautiful yeah i, I mean not, i'm 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 not a good musician i mean i know <laughs> but that's really not true <laughs> we'd have to define what a good musician is first which is an impossible task I, I, I mean, I mean, musically, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, what do you call, educated in in that way. But you know, whatever that I do is like uh, expression of how I feel. You write music uh, which touches hearts and inspires people. That is the highest achievements music can. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if achievement is the right mm-hmm. word, but one of the highest purposes of music. So, you can't talk yourself out of this one, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to believe you're true <laughs> well you don't even have to believe just keep doing what you're doing man we are listening <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. think musicians uh, well some I mean belief probably plays a role in it but uh, some of us uh, don't need to believe if we keep making music the rest just kind of falls into place or at least I'm hoping anyway oh. where can we find you uh, Aku, and what's the best way to support your work? Uh, I am. I mean, uh, I have put out four albums so far, but uh, two of the albums are there in Spotify. Yes. Uh, you know, in other, other iTunes, Amazon. Yes. And YouTube, we have a YouTube channel for my band. So basically, that's there where you'll find all kinds of uh, music that we make. Excellent. All of the um, links are going to be yeah. on the episode notes, by the way, FYI, for my listeners. Which which of these sites is the best way to support your work? Uh, I actually don't know that. <laughs> okay, fair play. We'll, <laughs> I know <yeah>. the feeling. <laughs> I'm intimately yeah. familiar with because the feeling. Because, because again, you know, this entire, uh, I mean, I mean, how much we earn as a musician from selling our music. It's, it's like, uh, it's nothing. I mean. yeah. <laughs> I so it, it, it's, 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 it's funny. Uh, yeah. But from time to time, uh, I, I mean, every year 
I do a festival called Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Mm-hmm. Uh, it started in the year 2014, and it's a crowd-funded festival. Wow! Uh, and 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 every year we have a footfall of like 10,000 people. Wow! In the festival, and it's a it's becoming quite big, you know. Amazing. And it's a completely independent, crowd-funded festival, like coming together of like-minded friends and. Families and people. So, well, you know, if if people really want to support, you know, I would want people to support this festival. <laughs> Beautiful. Is there, is there a website for the festival? Yeah. yeah, we do have a website, but 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 right now we are not raising any fund or anything. Right. But it will like it will happen in autumn, like in sometime in October. Yeah. Beautiful. And the artists are they only local or do they come from different parts of the? We have had like all kinds of artists from you know in the grid, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have come down here. Uh, 2019, they played. They were one of the headliners, and Beautiful. we have had artists from various places. But I mostly focus on the northeast uh, artists, you know, from the northeast region. Excellent. So yeah, and we have had uh, uh, Susmit Bose from Kolkata for last three years. Beautiful. I mean, when we started, and it's a festival, uh, you know. I'm very. I'm. I'm a big fan of the American folk singer Pete Seeger. Yeah. So we we started the festival when he passed away. Uh, he died in uh, 2014. So yeah. that's the year I started the festival because I love the song "Where Have All the Flowers Gone." Yeah. Right. So it's named after his song. Yeah, and you know it's very much. Uh, The song it's a it's like a song written from Manipur, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky enough to catch one of his last live performances oh, in person. Wow! Uh, with his grandson on banjo, I think. Ah, was, uh, okay. in Kolkata. Yes, yes, that was uh, ages ah, back. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard, I heard about that gig. <laughs> Yeah, at the time I didn't even realize what a big deal it was. I was like, okay, another. I mean, we were so hungry for any concert, you know, any anyone would play, and yeah. we just try and go. And it's only now yeah. that I realize what a historical event it was. To, um... All right, brother. This has been uh, a very, very inspiring and enlightening experience. Thanks for coming on, man. Especially after such a long day that you've you had. So much, Uh, it's an uh, absolute honor, and um, keep inspiring us. Thank you, man. Cheers, man. <laughs> It means a lot coming from you. <laughs> no, I mean, really, uh, honor is all mine. FYI, I'm going to stop the recording now, just so you know. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening till the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our shows, so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love. Talk soon. Just another voice out in.